Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. My name's Joel, and uh, we're continuing our series this morning called The Love of Strangers. We took a little pause uh, for it last week as we had uh, David Campbell with us. It was an excellent weekend together. And if you missed our Sunday night with, with David Campbell, uh, the guys have put that on YouTube, and it's, it's great to, to take it in and pick up on, on what he was teaching. I'm sure that won't be the last time David Campbell is at Celebration Church. It was such a blessing to have him here. Um, so welcome to everybody. Welcome to those who are guests of everybody who got baptized. That was a beautiful moment. We're so glad you're here. Let's give it up for all the families and friends of people who came. Thanks for being here this morning. We're happy you're here. Um, And so we're going to go on with part three of the love of strangers. There is a myth that I've noticed um, that so many people see other people's community, their harmonious, uh, you know, supportive, incredible community. And they assume that that person just kind of got lucky, that they had found the right people. And even the idea of community, the idea of this supportive community, sometimes we can think like, oh, somebody has something that is just, it's, it's like, how come I can't find that? That they just have this perfectly supportive community and it's just wonderful and I just am not lucky enough to stumble into that. If we don't have it, we feel like maybe we just haven't found the right people. As if community is a treasure and we just need to follow the map and we will eventually find this beautiful treasure. See, genuine belonging is created, not stumbled upon. What I found is that the, I'm I'm often looking for that sense of belonging um, by just kind of wandering into someone's life or into a whatever, an event or or whatever it is. And uh, I'm going to find this belonging that I'm looking for. But the reality of it is, is that it's created not just stumbled upon. And what I've seen over the years is people will hop from church to church looking to find that sense of community or they'll hop from activity to activity and they'll look to find that sense of belonging or relationship to relationship, looking to find it. But again, it's created, not stumbled upon, even with hobbies. Has anybody ever ended up with a a few random hobbies that you're like, why am I even doing this? I don't even love it. You know what I'm talking about? Like we just randomly stumble upon these hobbies and we're looking to find someone, but it's, it's created, it's cultivated. You don't just uh, happen upon it. And the reason we're end up, we end up uh, disinterested or disengaged is that we aren't getting what we wanted from this, this thing that we thought we would get, this feeling of belonging from. Um, I, I don't know about you, but like for me, it was, it was uh, men's hockey, you know? just sort of ended up in this thing. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, it's okay. But I'm like, I'm out here. I'm not very good. I'm like Groot on skates. Like, I'm out here. I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, but when we, write, when we wrote a place to belong on the walls of our church, I think sometimes it sends the message that you're going to find something here. Um, but it's a place that you're going to simultaneously find something from, but also give something to. When you belong in your family, right, you don't make the visitors or the guests clean up. When we belong here, we're invested. We're the ones that take care of it. The guests are just visiting. 
Proper belonging is something that I want to invest myself into. It pulls me from attendance to engagement. I'm captivated by what is happening and I cannot help but involve myself in that vision. See, I'll easily sacrifice for what I love. You ever found that? Like for me, it was hard to sacrifice for men's hockey. It's like 10.45 at night. I'm terrible. I prefer to sit on the bench um, and talk to the guys. But for golf, I'll get up at 4.30 in the morning. No problem. It's easy to sacrifice for what you love. Today, we're going to read from Luke chapter 19. If you want to flip there, I'm, I'm going to read from the NIV. So if you have version uh, or the, the Bible Project app, that's another really good uh, Bible app. Uh, so Luke chapter 19, I'm going to read 1 to 10. The story of Zacchaeus in the NIV. Why I'm asking you to pull this up is I believe that it helps sink that word into your heart. There's little things that you're going to pick up on that you might miss from my voice that if you, if you read along, you'll catch these things. And uh, so Luke chapter 19, 1 to 10. I'm going to go from the NIV this morning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Just catch that. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Remember it for later. We're going to come back to it. But because he was short, which the ESV is a little more kind. It says small in stature. Um, anyways, he was a short king. Uh, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. He said to the Lord, look, Lord, here now, I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. He wanted to see who Jesus was. In this case, curiosity cured the cat. Zacchaeus was fascinated with Jesus. See, following Jesus begins with fascination. Do you know who the most dangerous people are to the devil? The most dangerous people, the ones that are like knee shakers for the devil, like he's terrified of you. The most dangerous believers are new believers to the devil. Because when somebody come, first comes into relationship with Jesus, man, they're passionate, they're excited, they can't stop talking about it or including people into it. Man, if you're a new believer to Jesus, I just want to say to you this morning, be aware, because the enemy is going to try and attack you. Because you are terrifying to him because you can't stop talking about him and people see the transformation that's happening in your life. Keep going if you're a new believer. Man, if you don't have all the answers, if you don't understand it all yet, that's okay. You never will. We're, we're always on this process. Um, actually, Dr. David, when I was talking to him last week, he said, he, I said, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still new in this stuff. He said, Joel, I've been doing this for 50 years. I have three degrees. I am still learning. I, I still feel new in this stuff. And so just, just keep chasing after Jesus. Following Jesus begins with being fascinated with Jesus. Zacchaeus was interested in the person of Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus must be so much more than a ticket to heaven. And we've got to become interested, intrigued, 
When we, when we start to become curious about Jesus, you start to become more like him. You know, I was a youth pastor at this church for many years. Uh, the, the, you know, just a long time being in youth ministry. And here's what basically I can sum youth ministry up in this. It's being a referee of young adults who are fascinated with each other. That's youth ministry one-on-one right there. I'm talking about the leaders and the youth, okay? It's like these guys get fascinated with each other and they are willing to do anything for that other person to love and connect with them. And being a youth pastor is like, okay, you guys need to chill out. Okay, you guys need space, all right? Um, That's basically what it is. But the same thing can happen with us and Jesus in a good way. It's not that Jesus manipulates us. It's not that Jesus says, you have to change. Oh, you're so gross. Don't be around me. It's that when you become fascinated with him, you just fall in love. You're just like, I, I want to be more like this person because I want to connect more with this person. I, I, I want to change the, the wrong things about me because I love him and I don't want to offend him. I don't want to hurt him. So Zacchaeus runs ahead, climbs this sycamore fig tree to see him. And I believe that this is the posture that Jesus desires for our lives. Curiosity, fascination. What if we showed up to church like that? I don't care. I don't care where I park. I don't care if the parking guy puts me on the way end corner. You know, I don't care where I sit. I don't care if the usher like tells me where to sit. I don't care what songs they play. I'm just coming to church this morning expecting something from Jesus. So Zacchaeus, he came down at once, welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. Can I just tell you, Jesus wants to encounter you every day. But here's what happens. We do stuff wrong. We have some messy stuff in our lives and sin and shame, whatever else it may be, cause us to think that we need to hide from him to clean ourselves up in order to get close to him. When my kids in our house, when they steal candy from our candy drawer, they hide behind our kitchen island because they don't want us to see them. Growing up, I, I, this is what happens with us, the same thing. Growing up, my, my mom always shopped at a superstore. And you know, you know the you know, great Canadian superstore or whatever they call it? They have like the big, the bulk thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's all the bulk stuff. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Okay, so there's this big bulk row. And I remember as a kid coming into this store, you'd get there and you'd see this bulk, huge row of like M&Ms and Skittles and Smarties and all these, you know, chocolatey nut things, whatever. And you see this and you're like, oh, like it's beautiful. And so when we we'd get up to this thing, my mom would get there. Do you think she'd be getting all that stuff? No, she'd be getting oatmeal and raisins. Like that was it. That was it at the bulk uh, area for us in our family. But I remember as a kid, she would wander off away from the bulk section and I would sneak over there and I'd, you know, grab the little thing and fill up my hand with something and go hide and eat this stuff and hide from her. And we don't, I knew I was doing something wrong, so I wanted to hide it. See, I think, you know, as we grow up, we still do the same thing. We, we still feel like, man, I'm still a bit of a mess. And I'm not ready to encounter God yet, or I need to hide from him while I deal with this situation. In fact, it's the absolute opposite of that. That in the midst of your mess, you come to Jesus and it's incredible the transformation that can take place. And thankfully, Zacchaeus did not allow the issues in his life to keep him away from Jesus. Can I just tell you this morning, if there's strife in your relationships, get around Jesus. Somebody's not texting you back, get around Jesus. 
If you messed up, get around Jesus. If you're going through a dry season, get around Jesus. If you feel like people are avoiding you, get around Jesus. If you're having a hard time seeing the fruit of your life, just get around Jesus. And do you know what the reward is for getting around Jesus? It's Jesus, exactly. He's enough. Sometimes we're frustrated because we're seeking his hand, not his face. We want him to bless us. We want him to do something for us. We want him to answer a prayer. And he's, he's trying to tell us, you know, I can do all those things, but would you just come to me? Would you just encounter me for who I am? Get in my presence. He alone is enough. It's hard to become like Jesus when you don't know him. So you need to encounter Jesus daily because you'll encounter a whole lot of things that aren't Jesus every day. We need daily encounters with him. Zacchaeus encountered him by climbing a tree. It does take effort on our part to encounter Jesus. Not that, you know, we need to perfect ourselves. It just takes some time. It takes some effort. It doesn't need to be a, a bunch, but just even just a heart that says, God, I want to feel your presence today. I, I want to know you more. I want to get to know you. If I, I just get in the word, it takes effort on your part. Getting in his presence, it takes effort on your part. You don't have to do a bunch of stuff, but it just requires the effort to get there. Maybe it's just silence or solitude that you need in your life or both. Quieting the world around you and then quieting the world within you. Stop those voices from speaking. Hearing from God, we heard this last week, requires us listening. My kids can't hear me. They don't listen to me sometimes because A, Paw Patrol's on way too loud in our house. And B, they keep asking questions, yelling, not listening to me. And I think sometimes we're like that with God. When we pause to listen, the key, listen, ask the Holy Spirit to speak and then shut up. It takes effort, worship, whatever it may be. These encounters with him change us. But I would say this, our lack of fascination is directly tied to our lack of transformation. You want to see change happen in your life? You know, you want to see these, these habits change that you're just like, why do I still do that after all these years? Your lack of transformation directly tied to your lack of fascination. When you become fascinated with Jesus, when you just want to be in his presence, when you just want to be around him, when you just want to get in his word, know more about him, you start to become fascinated with him. I promise you, your fascination will lead to transformation. We can become informed about who he is, but being transformed is so much better. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Come on, do we want to be transformed? Do we want to know more about him? Do we want to, you know, become like him? And what happens with Zacchaeus? He's fascinated. He gets up in the street. He sees Jesus. Then he encounters Jesus. And what happens? Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Zacchaeus understood inflation, okay? Especially in Canada in 2022. He's like, I got you. And, and he does this all not out of a sense of shame, but out of a sense of joy. He's not like, it's not like Jesus came up to him and was like, what's wrong with you, dude? You keep stealing people's money. Get out of that tree and go start paying it back. No, Zacchaeus just comes into the presence of Jesus and out of joy, he's like, I'm going to pay it back. This transformed me. Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus transformed his behavior. See, when you belong, you begin to change. 
When you belong to a hobby, an activity, whatever, you cannot help but give yourself to it. When you belong in a church, when you understand all that Jesus has done for you, man, you cannot help but give yourself to it. When you belong, you cannot help but sacrifice. And when you encounter Jesus, you want to become like Jesus. You know, there's this, this buzzword in the uh, Christian community that you may or may not have heard called discipleship. See, what happened is I'm, I'm connected to quite a few pastors and all of us in every circle, no matter where we are, we're all talking about discipleship right now. Because what happened, a lot of people went through COVID and we realized that maybe we were just entertaining some people and maybe we were just, you know, keeping ourselves busy, but were people actually getting discipled? And so a lot of us became convicted by that. And, and so there's this buzzword, discipleship. What does it mean? Discipleship is simply us becoming like Jesus. That's it. It's us becoming like Jesus. Jesus paid a selfless sacrifice for our self-centered lives and encountering him cultivates a selfless sacrifice for other people's lives. And here's what happens. Acts chapter, Acts chapter two, um, they're starting, disciples are, are starting to be built. Acts chapter two, it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging, belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the, the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. An encounter with Jesus opens your circle. It makes you realize the importance of an open heart towards people. Makes you realize how much Jesus' heart breaks for the lost. And then all of a sudden you find your own heart being broken for those who are far from God or struggling on this journey with him. And here's the reality. People belong in your life before they belong in the church. Growing up a pastor's kid, I've seen some weird stuff in church. i just tell you that right now. I've seen some crazy stuff. We don't have time for it in this message, but I've seen some, some interesting things. I'll say this, happen in worship services. But even just the, the idea of being a Christian at times, I was like, this is weird. You know, there's some stuff we do that's weird. That if I wasn't a part of this thing, I would be like, what are you doing? Like even just raising our hand. You know, we forget that not everybody is a part of something like that or eating the little weird communion cracker thing on the top. Like, what is that? Like, it's like, is it gum? Is it bread? Is it like, what, what, what is going on here? There's some stuff that we do. And I, I, I would grow up, growing up, I'd be worried. Like, people are going to think we're weird. And the truth is, is that the people outside of the church, at this point, they don't belong here. We're different than them. That's okay. If you're here this morning and you feel like, I don't fit in here, we're okay with that. Man, God's okay with that. He's happier here. I'm happier here. That's awesome. But you might feel like, I don't belong. And the truth is, right now, you don't. You haven't found that. Like we have found it. But those people belong in our lives. And as people that don't yet belong to the church, as they encounter us, 
what they don't realize, but what we realize is that they're encountering Jesus. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us brings Jesus into their life. And what can happen is, is they can move towards him by moving towards us. And we just have to be missional minded, understanding. What was Jesus' mission? Says it at the end of this Zacchaeus story, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was moved towards Jesus' mission. When Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, he was moved towards his mission. By the presence of Jesus alone, Zacchaeus was moved towards his mission. A true encounter with Jesus will mess up your mission. See, because for a lot of us, we have our mission figured out. It's like, I know where my life is going. I know what service I go to. Okay, don't mess with that. I know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing after church. I know who my friends are. I know what my schedule is like. I know what I'm up to. I got my retirement plan. I got my thing. Don't mess with that. And oftentimes we can have a mission that isn't Jesus' mission. We have a mission for our lives, but is it Jesus' mission? What happens is in encounters with him, Jesus brings you back to him and back to his mission. And when we talk about this idea of the love of strangers. It's not enough to have a meal. You also need a mission. And again, back to this buzzword, everybody's talking about discipleship. You know, if you follow the kind of popular Christian teachers and preachers, whatever, they're all sort of using this word somehow, discipleship. What is that? What is this thing? It's simply this, come and follow me as I follow Jesus. And if we have that mission in our hearts, we can move forward. But what happens is when we don't have a mission, but we do have this transformation, we do have this like, you know, desire to be like him, transformation becomes hyper-spiritual narcissism without a mission. So we don't just belong for the sake of our own transformation. We belong for his mission to seek and to save the lost. And we have to decide what we're going to do because if we don't disciple people, the culture will. We're seeing this happen every day. That people are, you know, coming up with this thought process and even, even in the church, there's this idea like, I, I, like, with young people, like, we don't need the church. We're just gonna just praise God wherever we are. We, we don't actually need this thing. What's happened? They got discipled by the wrong people. They got discipled by culture. They got discipled by people deconstructing their faith and thinking they were wrong about everything because they're offended with orthodoxy. We have to decide who's going to disciple people because if we don't, somebody else will. If we don't, the culture will. And as we sort of get this idea, this mission of discipleship into our hearts, we got to remember that we're called to disciple the people that are in our lives first as well. We want to open circle, but we also have to remember that we don't decide between open circle or closed circle. It's both. So if we don't disciple, the culture will. If you don't disciple your family, the culture will. If you don't disciple your friends, culture will. If you don't disciple your kids, culture will. Most important thing we do as parents, the biggest mission for our lives are these little children, these beautiful children, acquaintances, coworkers, whatever. You decide who's going to disciple them. 
You are the culture. All of these are opportunities for us to make disciples. Discipleship works like this. You get better when you're around Jesus and then other people get better when they're around you. You get better when you're around Jesus. You better be around Jesus. Then what happens is other people get around you and they get better because of it. But that can be reversed. So if people get worse when they're around you, you need to get around Jesus. If people get worse when they're around you, it's a sign you need to get around Jesus. It's such a temptation to often think it's somebody else that needs to change. When the, if things are going wrong, the first thing we do, I heard a great leader once say this, uh, leadership is simply this. If things are going wrong, you look in the mirror. If things are going right, you look out the window. So meaning if, the, if, if there's something going wrong, if people are constantly in conflict with you, what is it? It's time to look in the mirror. Go, what, what needs to change within me? If things are going right, we look at all, all God's doing. We just give all the praise to God and to the other people and say, oh, God, you know, it's not me that this is a great leader. It's just you doing the work in them. It's incredible. But this is the exact formula of Zacchaeus. He got around Jesus and his life was changed. And then he went and changed other people's lives, giving back to them, taking care of them, giving them four times what he took. And just as Jesus... His presence transforms our lives. Your presence transforms other people's lives. Just as Jesus' presence transforms our life, your presence can transform someone's life. If you don't believe me, think about uh, when somebody that you love, someone who's close to you was going through grief. For me, grief has been an awkward thing. I like making people laugh. I like having fun. I'm like, somebody died? Let's make a joke about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I don't know. I, the, you know, whatever. It's, I, because for me, that's fun. Like, if somebody close to me dies, I want you to make fun of it. Or no, not, not that extreme. But, you, you know, I want to laugh. I don't want to cry all the time, okay? That's all I'm saying. And so I've always had an awkward time with grief. I'm supposed to be this pastor. I'm like sitting there and I'm like, oh man, do I tell a joke or something? Like, it, it's awkward. And I remember being 19 years old. No, I was 17 years old. And my friend was 19 and his dad passed away. And I remember being so awkward around him the first time I saw him. Like, hey, like I was just weird. I actually avoided him for a while because I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. And it's like such a core memory for me, being so awkward around this. And what I'm realizing as I get older and mature a little bit more and and forced into these situations of grief, it's not about saying the right thing in the moment. What happens is you're, you're there and at the end of it all, the person says to you, you being there meant so much. I just tell you this morning, your presence matters. I, I think I forgot to tell the, the title of this message. My, the title of my message today is just simply this, a life-changing presence. His presence will change you and your presence changes other people. Why do you think your presence matters? You're like, how, how can you say that? You don't even know me. Acts 9.4. This guy named uh, Saul, well, Paul. Well, he's, he's named both, uh, but his name's Paul. And he wrote uh, most of the letters that we'd read in the, in the New Testament. But before that, his name was Saul. And when he was named Saul, he was going around persecuting Christians. They were like, you want to mess with Christians? Well, you better call Saul. Uh, sorry, that's a little Breaking Bad plug. Um, so... There's this guy named Saul and he's going around, he's persecuting Christians. And then he comes into an encounter with Jesus. 
And when he encounters Jesus, this is what happens. Acts 9, 4 says, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He never met Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus' people. But when you touch Jesus' people, you touch Jesus. That's how much we're, we're woven in. So that, that's, that's how God looks at us. That's how Jesus, that's, we're, we're children of God. That's how he sees us. That's how much we're woven into this whole thing. That when you touch Jesus' people, you touch him. So when you encounter Jesus' people, you encounter him. And 2 Corinthians 2.15 says this, we are the aroma of Christ. Sorry, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Wow. With the aroma of Christ. Can I ask you this morning? How do you smell? There's this Australian pastor named Alan Hirsch. I love this quote that he says. If every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversation and hospitality around a table once a week to neighbors, we could actually eat our way into the kingdom of God. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound easy? You know, you just throw a pork butt on the smoker and just let, let the presence of God do his thing. And we're studying this passage from Luke this morning. And if you go through Luke, you start to pick it up. You just read through it. You watch the life of Jesus and you watch the stories that pop up. He's always eating. He's, he's just going around, he's eating. And even some, a couple, there's a couple parables halfway through the book where he's like, I'm gonna tell you this parable. There's these guys at a banquet. Like he's, if he's not eating, he's thinking about eating. And you know, like he's, he's, what's he doing? The presence of Jesus is changing. He's transforming lives, not with a stage, but with a table. And this is why, you might've heard me mention in another message. This is why our church, is prioritizing a return to something called Alpha in January. You may have heard of Alpha before. You may have even taken it before. But I believe it should be a priority for us as we talk through how are we going to move forward in the kingdom of God? How are we going to reach people? How are we going to out-disciple the culture? It comes back to Alpha. And here's why I think a mature believer should take it if you've taken it before. Anybody, here's why you should take Alpha. Take Alpha to trust Alpha. Take it, come see it, come see that you can trust the church with your friends. And and take Alpha on on top of that to help you in conversations. When was the last time you told somebody your story? That was so brave of Ella this morning to tell us her story. Wasn't that amazing to hear her story? Incredible. (laughs) But the thing about that story is it's not just something that happened to someone. This is, this is the power of the gospel in your life. Your story is like, think about your story and, and how like people don't really care about what happened back then, but they do care about how Jesus is changing your life here and now today. And so I just ask you, would you consider Alpha? Even if you've taken it before or if you've never taken it. Or maybe God's tugging on your heart. And you're, you, you know, you've led something before, you haven't led something before. Come and be a part of Alpha. We need, we'd love table leaders, cooks, hosts, whatever it may be. Our team right now is, is no one. 
It's going to be the staff if nobody steps up. Um, but I, I just believe that something incredible is going to happen with Alpha in January. I feel like God's put it on our heart to go back for it. There is 1,095 meals in 2023 that you'll probably eat if you're eating three a day. You may eat five a day, good for you, or two, whatever. It doesn't matter. If you eat three a day, 1,095 meals, 2023. My ask to you this morning is, would you consider, consider giving 11 of those to Alpha? Why? To seek and save the lost. Carrington, could you guys bring up that whiteboard? Um, I want to share with you this morning our 2023, because there's only four Sundays left in December, plus Christmas in Edmonton, which is going to be beautiful and special. Um, but I want to show with, to you today what our, our, let's call it our growth strategy for 2023 for Celebration Church, or our how we're going to reach people for Jesus strategy in 2022. It's, it's, I'm telling you, it's very elaborate. You guys are being very careful with this thing. This, okay, here we go. Thank you, guys. You didn't want to disrupt me. It's very, okay, it's very elaborate, this growth strategy. It's very complicated, but I want to share it with you this morning. He's like, no, I don't want to hear it. I'm out of here. Um, message has gone on long enough. Okay. I want to show you this crazy, elaborate growth strategy, which I just came up with on my own. I didn't include anyone in leadership. Probably should have. But I want to show you, um, first of all, what a good artist I am. Um, and, and second of all, our growth strategy. And you're like, hurry up. And I'm like, hey, guys, remember... Um, that show with the neighbor, Tim Allen or whatever. Um, I just aged myself. All the Gen Z is like, what is this guy talking about? Or Gen Z. It wasn't on TikTok for you. Um, I'm almost done. Use this chance to talk to your neighbor. Love them a little bit. I just want it to be nice. That's all. Okay, you want to see our growth strategy? Jeez, I suck at this. Okay, here it is. It's beautiful. Can everybody see it? It's very elaborate. It's very elaborate. It's it's it's. Uh, We've really thought it up nicely. It's you. You, not me. It's you. Well, and me too. We're all the you. And this is a pizza. This is some pasta or ramen or whatever. This is the burger and fries. It's you <laughs> and food. That's it. That's how we're going to reach people. That's how that number will be added to daily. Acts chapter 2. We want to be at Acts chapter 2 church. Add people to the number daily. I know you thought it was going to be all these locations, all these events, you know, elaborate. And those things are great. We love those things. We, we obviously are a part of those things. But this is the strategy. This is how we reach people for Jesus. This is how we decide who's going to disciple, us or the culture. Let me just ask you this question. Do you think your neighbors care about my messages? You barely care about them. 
They don't. But they care about you. They care about, they can see what God's done in your life. And if they're anything like me, they certainly care about pizza. (laughs) Hospitality is the front door to discipleship. And meals are not the end. They're the beginning of the Son of Man coming to seek and save the lost. And maybe as I talk about community, belonging, those words, you've found that. And you're like, yes, I love that. And you might even be annoyed with me this morning, annoyed with the message, thinking I've found this. Hopefully other people do, but it's not my problem. Can I just tell you, I'm annoyed with the message too. It's bothering me too. Because I can't ignore the scripture. Even though so many times I wish I could. If you're like me and you found that wonderful sense of belonging that I'm talking about, if you're you know, getting that transformation, you're fascinated with Jesus, I'm so happy for you. But if you have, you got to be cautious. I found the, the best friends, the best friends in the world here. All my, my closest friends are by the grace of God through this church. So thankful. So thankful for the connections I've made. But we got to be careful. I'm going to read to you one more verse for, in 1 Corinthians. And it's kind of like one of the more famous ones that we would read at communion. And so we'd often read at communion, we'd talk about how, how Paul is quoting Jesus' words uh, and then talking them through the Last Supper. And then after that, he says, but don't eat in an unworthy manner. After that, he says, like, are you, are you eating in an unworthy manner? And we're sort of like, okay, what's that about? And so before that text of the Last Supper, here's what it says. For in this place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in part that there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So what he's saying is there's some fighting, there's some quarreling, there's divisions among you. That's okay. We're trying to suss out who's legit and who's not. He's saying that's okay. There there can be that kind of division. Like we don't want that kind of nasty stuff coming into the church and people, you know, faking it here and bringing in nasty theology, whatever. Like that's, that's okay. We can suss out who's legit and who's not. But then after that, he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So what was happening at the time is, I heard about it in Acts chapter two, everybody would come together and they'd bring, all these people would bring this food and they'd have this you know, banquet together. But the people who brought the most would get to eat first. In other words, the wealthy would get to eat first, but there was an understanding that they would leave enough for those who had nothing to come and eat. But what was happening in this verse is that people were coming, 
they were just fattening themselves up and getting drunk. And then when these people would come expecting to get something, they would come starving and with nothing. And Paul is saying, you're eating in an unworthy manner. That's not the, that's not the, the Lord's Supper that you're partaking in. And the question we must ask ourselves is this, is my community eating in an unworthy manner? An unworthy manner where we sit there, get fat on knowledge and belonging while doing nothing to give it away. And believe me, I'm convicted by this. I absolutely love the community I've cultivated and I'm not saying ignore those people. I'm saying Let's not become spiritually narcissistic where the transformation is all about us and feeling better, doing our own thing. Because if I'm not careful, I'll get stuck in a circle that has no love for strangers. And I will lose Jesus's mission to seek and save the lost and slowly slide into spiritual narcissism and selfishness while ignoring my neighbor who's desperately hungering for what I feast on and keep to myself. I'll get drunk while he goes hungry. But the good news is, I have what he's looking for. And I have a seat at the table. I just have to allow him or her in. And remember that as Jesus' presence changed my life, your presence can change someone else's lives. When Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, he showed repentance and joy. He wasn't convicted like by shame. Can I tell you that's what, that's what Jesus does for you and me? When we come into encounter with him, it's like out of joy that I just wanna pour it out into others. You'll realize what all you've done wrong and how much is messed up with you, but you'll want to change it in a response of love and joy and genuine connection to Him. God, thank you for this incredible church. People that love you, people that have called this place home, people that are drawn near to you, God. Thank you that as we're drawn near to you, your presence draws us in and we know that that's not the end for us, that there's so much more that you have for us. Pray that we'd be passionate about being aligned with your mission to seek and save the lost, to love strangers, to understand we don't have to have it all figured out, but if we just allow people a seat at our table, life change could happen for them and for us. If you're here today and you're feeling lost and you'd like to make a connection with Jesus, you'd like to begin your journey or re-begin your journey with him, the good news is it's just a simple prayer. The Bible says all you got to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Here's what I'm going to ask. Everybody who's believers who calls Celebration Church home, would you repeat after me so that these people aren't singled out and praying this on their own, but that they understand that there's a family here who loves them and is praying with them this morning and is here to help them in their next steps with, your, with their walk with God. Let's pray this. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and dying on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that you're my Lord and God raised you from the dead. From now on, I live for you. Forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's put our hands together for everybody who prayed today. Thank you, God, for all you've done. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.